0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and also talk about YouTube and filmmaking. So today we have a pretty special guest. We have Nathan Swella. He's a Florida-based filmmaker and YouTuber who's been creating on YouTube since 2013 with over 17,000 subscribers and over 2 million views on his channel, Nate's Film Tutorials, where he focuses on gear reviews and filmmaking-related content. We've been internet friends since like 2017, and this is the first time we're actually talking face to face. So, Nathan, how's it going, man?
1: Man, this is like so official hearing all of that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to kind of talk face to face for once.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I feel like we we chat all the time on like Instagram, and mm-hmm. you always kind of troll me on my YouTube videos every once in a while. But it's <laughs> it's like fun to <laughs> it's fun to like actually talk to you face to face. This is pretty sweet. Well, it's
1: really funny because like. You're, like, one of the very first people I came across as far as, like, when I was first getting into video. So, I think the first video I ever came across yours was, like, cheap DSLR audio talking about the Fiio E3. And oh, I yeah. I didn't even know if I had a T3i at the time, but I remember researching different audio and, like, I had no money at all. So, I was trying to look for, like, the cheapest way I could get some audio and then I didn't even know what you're talking about with a preamp. Like, what's a preamp? What's what's all this mean? And so when I saw you, and then I guess from that, like you you showed up again. And so it's like seeing your content. You know, more and more, we kind of kind of connected, and we your ta- your channel is definitely an inspiration for those who you know you started out. You didn't have a lot of subscribers. It's only like recently have you kind of blown up. So yeah, you know exactly. But people who know you, it's like. You know, you've been on YouTube, you're, like you're like one of the earliest ones. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I think the irony is that, like, you know, I was probably, you know, you were probably like watching my videos when you first started, but now I feel like a lot of your stuff is like, it looks way better than the stuff that, you know, I've created in the last like five years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I had you as an inspiration to learn from, I guess. Well, well, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. So for for anyone listening, if you haven't checked out Nate's YouTube channel, it's got a lot of really good gear reviews and tutorials, but he also does professional video work as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. you work for a production company or a a marketing agency or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I work for a small production company. They actually used to be based in my hometown, but since then they have moved to Sarasota, which is a little bit of a further drive for me. And I've... Basically started working for them full-time since 2019. So they hired me on as a 20-year-old cinematographer. Um, and literally, like, that's, I think that's been a big part of truly understanding production has been through them. It's to see like what the real-world production is like and you realize that nothing is ever ideal or ever as planned as you hope to be. So you find ways and you find ways to improve your craft which has been certainly it has made me thought very differently about filmmaking so yeah I've been working for them full-time I think last year I was only part-time and I was actually trying to pursue YouTube more of full-time but that didn't quite work out but nonetheless like I feel like I'm very happy with the way my YouTube growth has you know went so far
0: Also, I guess that brings me to Mm -hmm. my first question that I wanted to ask you is like, when did you actually start doing video work? Because I remember it was back in like 2017 that we first uh, started chatting and you were Mm -hmm. you know, doing stuff with your G7. You'd been doing, you've been like dabbling with video like before that time, right?
1: Yeah. I want to say like when I first, the idea of having a camera behind me, I, I guess I was a little bit more into photography when I was like middle school. Um, And I really think like late when I was like 12 years old 13 years old is when I really thought like I like this video thing Um, And one of the earliest moments I've had was of that is like I remember trying to film myself and doing like a cloning um, Cloning effect so like there was two doorways and I'd I'd poke my head out of one Run around poke my head out of the other and then editing I just made it look like I just transported and I saw both of myself Um, So that was like the earliest, earliest effect. I kind of give credit to like video and editing, but I guess I've always, my mom has always encouraged me like to take photos, whether it's on a field trip or whatnot. So I guess if anything, it's kind of stemmed from that. So that would have been 2012. I was 13 years old. So that was, that was about the time, the very early moments. And then um, I want to say when I was like 15 is when I started getting, A little bit more researching about it, more because I started my YouTube channel. That's actually I wanted to start my YouTube channel for quite a long time, and um, I just posted like random videos in 2013. But the filmmaking tutorials, I don't think happened till like 2015. But it's been slow progression. But I feel like 2018 is when I kind of then took YouTube more of a hey, like I can I can make money from this thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's awesome. So that's like a good like 10 years that you've been doing this then That's awesome.
1: That is very crazy, I think, because I mean, <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm only 23 and just think I got a decade of experiences. Um, certainly, that's, that's a very unique position I'm in and it can be challenging, I think, at some points because you know you have so much experience, but being so young, it's like you can kind of look down upon. But maybe that gives me a secret advantage, like, oh, you're young, you don't have to, you know worry (laughs) so i don't know it's it's an interesting quirk to have
0: yeah no i still feel like i mean i don't know i still deal with like a lot of imposter syndrome even though you know i've i've had a camera in my hands since i was like at least 13 years old and i'm Mm -hmm. 31 now but it's like you know sometimes i just feel like i should be further in my career than i am Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i'm i'm pretty stoked on like where i've landed so far in my life (laughs) well
1: what's your what's your like ultimate dream like where as far as video is going to take you what what's that what you want to do
0: dude i mean honestly like now this might sound lame but like i kind of want my youtube channel to turn into something that i can leverage into doing you know commercial work or you know professional work so Mm i'm like i can like be picky and choosy about the clients that i get because i have a youtube channel that i don't need to like you know I don't know, like, you know, pitch to a client with a hundred other people pitching to them where it's more like I can have hopefully have people come to me because they like the way that I make my videos. So ultimately, I know that like I don't think YouTube's gonna be like my full I mean, if it was my full-time gig for mm-hmm. the rest of my life, I'd be stoked. But if it's not then I'd like to actually start working on you know commercial work or you know short documentaries or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever do like super long documentaries because I'm just not that patient but like short docs and you know commercials is what I would like mm-hmm. to do.
1: Well I think you're on the right road because like a lot of people try to balance YouTube or filmmaking and you have to kind of choose one way or the other but it's like YouTube it's like an open sandbox you can basically create what you want to create and that's very exciting and i know for personally balancing that with client work it's like it's their client videos at the end of the day so you maybe it's not what you envisioned sorry hit the mic um it may be not what you quite picture or like your taste but you kind of just have to deliver what they want um and i think you like there's tremendous power in having your own base of people who will will listen to you you building up an authority so for you to leverage (laughs) you for you to leverage that and make the actual content you want to make I think I think that's probably the correct path and it's a little bit of what I kind of want to do not so much get into commercial but I think ultimately what I want to do is actually movies and at the end of the day I think I need to build to a point where I can just make the movies I want to make. Don't have to worry about getting funding behind it. So independently fund it. So YouTube in a way, well, it never started out this way. It never started out as a, like a journal or a BTS or teaching tutorials. It started out just by me wanting to practice my craft every week. I was super inspired by um, DSLR guide, Simon K. Oh yeah. He remember here. He, he, yeah. He posted something about like, you know, he gave himself the challenge of uploading once a week and I kind of took that to heart. And I'm like, I'm going to try that, you know, um, because it it was weird because I definitely felt like alone within the filmmaking sphere. Um, I didn't know anyone who was interested in video. It was just like me and a couple of like my middle school, high school buddies who were kind of interested in it as well. But, for me, my filmmaking journey has really been like a lonely road and until like recently till I started to engage with like the local film school or if it's with um my work like getting to know other people who are excited about, you know, narrative film or just video in general has only been like somewhat recent like the past maybe 3 or 4 years. So I lost my train of thought, but to your point, I think you're probably on the right road by you're first establishing your audience and using that to make the things you actually want to make. And I feel like two people can either choose the commercial route and try to work their way up, or the YouTube route, which I think is kind of the the new wave <laughs> um, route, which is more appealing to me because you can just make what the content you want to make. You can try something new. You don't have to try to fight this system. <laughs> I mean, for those listening, my channel is not huge. I have like 17,000 subscribers right now, but I'm it's still able to, it produces a nice income monthly to have as a passive thing. I still put quite a bit of work into it, but I say rough I can guarantee like 500 bucks a month from all of YouTube. So I'm like, yeah. Hey, that's, that's nice. That's like a week's income. Like I, I can use that. Um, yeah. So it's like that, I'm so thankful for my younger self to have put in the work for that. Cause if I decided if I waited till now to create a YouTube channel, it would be so much harder for one, but then to, I'm, I'm like on a snowball effect. So while I'm not like the hugest, like biggest YouTuber, you know, it is possible to make some money on the side. So yeah, I know, I hopefully that encouraged someone like, Hey, like, Oh, you only need 17,000 to make this much. Um, yeah. yeah there's 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 a lot of ways you can make money with YouTube.
0: Yeah, I remember the first the first week that I set up an Amazon affiliate account. I didn't really like I thought that it was so much harder to do than it actually was. Oh. But like the first <laughs> the first week I set it up, I like started seeing some money coming in. I think the first month like I made 400 bucks and i only had like nine thousand subscribers at that point or something like that so i was like dang this is sick this is like more than my adsense money (laughs) i'm stoked on this exactly
1: it was like quadruple for me and it's like my friend told me about signing up for different countries and you can do that and i that like added another like 100 bucks a month i'm like dang where was this this is free money here i just yeah exactly two extra clicks (laughs) and it's like i've
0: I think I've talked about this before on the the podcast, but like I feel like that's like the least sleazy way of making money on YouTube. It's like if you're gonna buy it anyways, why not click somebody's link and just give them a little bit of extra kickback? You know, like yeah. I bet you feel the
1: same way. Like I'm very picky on the way I monetize or something like even sponsorships. I haven't done a lot, but even when it comes down to like YouTube videos, like yeah, Amazon just feels very natural and it feels like you said the least sleazy way to go about it. Yeah. And to me I feel like I wouldn't ever want to like ask for money and recommend a product that was garbage. So Yeah. I feel like yeah, Amazon's a very natural way everyone shops on Amazon. So Yep. Yeah, to your point like Yeah. <laughs> Have you
0: like been reached out by anybody wanting to sponsor your channel that was just like totally off-brand like oh yeah but,
1: well not necessarily sponsorships well they're mostly like scams like if it's like yeah. crypto related or like some like video game i'm like did you even know what my channel is about no they just <laughs> grouped them all in a bunch of small youtubers so yeah. yeah it's like there's there's a lot of emails that i get that I just get ignored but you know every once in a while there's a diamond in the rough and you find someone that's like oh yeah i want to review this thing or um or they like do a paid review so, I I also feel like that's a better way for me to generate money on YouTube is if a company is willing to send a product and pay me to make the video, um, mm-hmm. I also don't feel too bad about that. Um, I do make sure I, like, mark the video as paid promotion and be like, hey, yeah. you know, so people know, like, yeah, I'm paid for this, but they're never paying for my opinion. They're only paying for the actual video produced and to be on my channel. So, I try to make that distinction, but I guess you could be be wary am i I swaying your opinion (laughs) i don't know yeah
0: yeah i've always like wondered that i mean like i've had you know i think like the raid shadow legends like they reached out to me and like wanting to sponsor one of my videos was like (laughs) this is so far off what i do but uh, i feel so uncomfortable
1: on the camera yeah raid shadow legends
0: Yeah, well, it's like, and I've seen some people that I, like, really look up to, and, like, they took the Raid Shadow Legends deal. And I'm just like, man, how much do they offer you to do that? It's like, <laughs> so crazy. And it's like, I feel like you kind of have to balance what you're willing to put your name on, I guess, when it comes to, like, sponsorships and stuff. That's why I've been, like, really... Like I'm really picky about who I align myself with as far as sponsorships because sometimes it's just you can lose a lot of credibility if you know you start doing Rage Shadow Legend sponsorships on your filmmaking channel. Yeah. <laughs> what sparked your interest in YouTube initially? Like, was it just Simon Cade over at DSLR Guide or like what other channels were you watching that kind of like influenced you to start a YouTube channel?
1: Julian Smith.
0: Really, dude, I love <laughs> Julian Smith.
1: Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think. Well, there's a couple people early on that w- attracted me to like making YouTube a thing, I guess. And for him, it's like Julian Smith. His videos were very high quality. He shot on a 7D, and that stuff looks like it's shot on film. Um, yeah, and that was like very early on in YouTube. So it's like that was the first high quality piece that I remember seeing. Um, I was also pretty inspired. I used to be really um, into like magic tricks and i created my own separate youtube channel around that so a lot of magicians and there's one guy in particular his name is xavier Pere. he was super cinematic his stuff looked like movies for his card tricks shot on a 5d mark iii it looked amazing and so in some ways like i remember seeing on that channel I remember seeing me try to imitate and guys at the time like i tell you i have no equipment no money i was shooting like on my ipad and my phone and trying to make things Look good using iMovie to color grade. Like I was using like really bare essential tools, and I just remember being inspired by that. But like as far as like other filmmaking or YouTuber inspirations, more recently it's like Caleb Pike, MKBHD, Darius Britt, those guys. Mm -hmm. Andy Mogul, Andy Mogul was huge um, at the beginning because I was I started watching this stuff even before I was into filmmaking. Like they built a like a lightsaber and i thought oh that's so cool oh yeah (laughs) Um, and so it's like i realized that these kind of come around and i go back to those videos like oh man like i was learning filmmaking basics from them
0: that's awesome yeah i I remember the channels that i was watching was like philip bloom and
1: uh i put a lot of hours on youtube research like i probably researched way too much they should have <laughs> but watching endless youtubers um so i if you i mean i guess recently i haven't done a whole lot of exploring on these new creators because there's just so many that came into the space in the past year yeah. too but oh man yeah you know, it's blown you, up yeah if you talk about like a few creators like i probably know their name uh, <laughs> but yeah
0: before i ever started my youtube channel i would just watch the youtubers that i really liked and then Mm. as soon as i started my youtube channel i would just make slightly different versions of the videos that they've already made because that's just like i feel like everyone starts out almost copying like the people that they like the most i feel like that's i mean everybody does that right yeah
1: like there's not there's nothing shameful in that i think you have to kind of get through that but the end goal is like honestly, it was, like, it boils down to that question, like, what is originality? Like, I think it's just a mixture of all your inspirations, and then you find certain things you like, and you stick to them. So, like, I feel like if you took a good look at my channel, you could find the, the, like, top three inspirations, and you could see how much I pull from them. But it's, like, with YouTube, I feel like I'm never, I never reached a good video. Like, I'm always trying to find a way how to make a better video. And I feel like recently, I've kind of at least began to understand a little bit what makes a good video and i still don't feel like i've made like a a video that's like i'm always happy with the videos i make but what would be a good video that youtube would be like oh i'm going to recommend this to a bunch of people like my none of my videos have blown up like that um but one day like you like you, you want creator on the rise and, and that really yeah. kind of elevated your channel well but dude that's just same, like same stuff over and over yeah and then one one video
0: <laughs> yeah no that's like that stupid i mean it's not as stupid like i'm still <laughs> like I, you know like i look back at that video i'm just like okay like, i still think it's good but like i was almost just not gonna post that because i was just like eh like and those I
1: don't know, are the videos like, that
0: do blow up <laughs> yeah and it's like i feel like when you do something that like you don't think is gonna work because it's not like somebody else's video you almost think that like your videos have to be like the popular people's videos in order for them to work. But if you make something that's like a little bit off and a little bit just like your own, those are usually the videos that seem to blow up. But I definitely get that, that like sense of like, man, I don't think I've made a video that like, you know, like all my videos I like to a certain extent, but like I want to get to a point where it's just like every video I'm like stoked on and they at hmm. least do semi well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah not that like views equal whether a video is good or not cuz i follow a lot of like smaller youtube channels that like their videos are way better than mine but they get you know a 1000 views or whatever so i just feel like it just sometimes the algorithm just doesn't uh oh yeah it doesn't push I, the best videos well you know
1: 2020 it was like a big year for our creators like we saw an influx in views 2021 it's like it just oh yeah shot straight down and yeah. that was really frustrating because i i was trying to make youtube a thing and i remember just not getting any views so like that is definitely can be demoralizing and especially creators today it's like you got to work extra hard just to get you know get some people to actually watch your videos but i guess what's interesting is like the an idea that's hit me is you know instead of putting one video out a week what if you did one video a month and you put the same time and energy into the video so I, instead of putting out, like, four, five-minute videos, I would do one 20-minute video. Like, yeah. Would that give me more views? Uh, it's, like, it's hard to say. I, I do wonder, it's, like, should should we be more sparing on the content we are putting out? Because, like, there's so much already. Why would I, I... I'm getting very picky on the actual reviews on, on the products I'm getting now. It's just because, like, is this interesting in the market? No, I, I'm not going to review this. And I think... Yeah. I've already told myself I was going to be picky. And then I just like leaned into it. Like I can't review this thing <laughs> just because Yeah. it's just another one of these things in the market. And unless I can come up with an idea that would be interesting. It really makes my job as a content creator more difficult if I can't see the interesting idea behind it.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I feel like, especially with gear reviews, like sometimes you just have to put like some kind of a new spin on it in order for, even if it doesn't like do well, as far as like views go, like in order for just to like, to to keep your own interest as the creator who's supposed to be reviewing it. Cause like, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but like, I don't know, sometimes gear reviews just kind of get monotonous after a while and you just kind of get over them. You're just like, eh, I don't really want to review another light, but Hmm. you have to like figure out a way to make the review that you're doing interesting to yourself so that you'll actually get it done. I don't know.
1: I'm not sure if you already said this or someone on your podcast, but like the gear reviews are kind of like your bread and butter, like, they're they're simple and easy to do, and people can watch like will find them and watch them. Um, it's it's also like it's cre- an incredible feeling to get a product for free to review. Um, yeah. I remember the first time I got a mic from Comica. Um, the oh yeah, V30, same thirty. Um, nice, and that was in 2018. That was like my first ever product review. The microphone wasn't great, but I was so excited just to. I got this for free. <laughs> it yeah. was a thirty dollar mic, but I had no microphone. No, actually I had the road video micro, which was a Christmas gift. <laughs> but literally, um from that moment it's like I didn't even know really that was a thing and that I only had like a thousand subs at the time or maybe less. So for them to actually find me and reach out to me, fast forward to now where I'm like you're getting a video light. You're getting a microphone, or like, oh, you need a new gimbal. Well, you can just leverage your YouTube channel and ask someone for a gimbal. Um, yeah. Which is a it's a powerful feeling, and so it's like it's not necessarily to diminish gear reviews, but to your point, I think you do feel can can easily feel burnt out as far as the gear reviews, especially if they're not pulling any views. It's like yeah, put in this much work, no one is seeing it, and well, it's like the answer is like, if you had to be really honest with yourself, it's like, well, your video is probably not that great. <laughs> you know, you, you are putting a lot of work and it seems great to you, but YouTube is just picky and you got to keep people engaged. And I think only now and only recently have I really kind of saw that. I guess in the essence of my YouTube channel, I've always tried to be a little bit more concise with my channel. So even the earlier videos, like I got really, really bored and distracted by like vloggers out there that you know whatever the title was it was like nine minutes into oh my god the video they would then talk about it yeah and that was a big thing a while ago I don't know if people do that anymore but that was I remember being very annoyed by that and so I'm like no I'm just gonna get to the point you know I don't even put a crazy intro um as far as like other Pretty graphics and whatnot. I'm like, that's a waste of time. I skip those in my videos. So, or when I watch videos. So, I'm like, I'm not going to put that in my video. So, in essence, like being a consumer of YouTube and producing the content to a degree of what I want to see, I think has probably landed to a little bit of the success uh, that my channel has had, whether it's just my demeanor or whether it's just like, I don't want to waste your time. I think that's kind of translated and And I've got I got comments like, oh, I like how you're not shouting at me and you're just talking to me or you probably you know, you're definitely on the calmer side of YouTube and you're not shouting. There's an audience there that appreciates that calmness, Um, whereas other YouTubers more popular may be a little bit more energetic, more shouting at you. YouTube serves different people and those people eventually find your stuff.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's, I feel like it's encouraging for the people who are kind of like you and me, who are just like not shout at the camera type people. I feel like sometimes there are so many people that start YouTube channels and feel like they have to be like a Peter McKinnon type of personality in order to, you know, be successful. But I feel like, you know, even Caleb Pike is a really good example of someone who just like has a pretty calm demeanor, but can Mm -hmm. still be, you know, successful on YouTube. And I definitely totally agree with you on like the just kind of trying to get to the point there are so many times where it's just like man i wish I like i could make this video two minutes longer by just monologuing and putting some b-roll in to make it past the eight minute mark so that mm. i can put the, the mid-roll ads but it's just like even just myself watching the video I'm just like i just don't want to do that it's just I'm gonna skip that's it. gonna yeah i'm just i'm just gonna make it six minutes instead of eight or whatever but yeah i mean the same thing it's just like i don't like i don't do like intro bumpers i just do them at the end of my videos because like mm. if people are forgetting who they're watching then they'll know at the end of my video when they see my initials or whatever you know so i totally agree with you on that
1: if you ever want to feel inspired just go to your favorite creator and watch their very first videos you're gonna see them be like hey guys welcome back (laughs) just that's totally true. just scared deer in the headlights kind of look and i I mean i was definitely that way i'm not gonna say i wasn't go back to my earlier videos like production value nothing just (laughs) yeah just nothing but um, that's that's part of the intrigue in the in the game of YouTube is like it's it's cool to go back and see my 15 year old self make a video and fast forward like people have already said like wow your quality of videos have jumped crazy and to me it's like I, I guess I live through it so I don't feel like it's as quick but then when I go back and I look dude you're so young just like don't worry yeah. about it you'll get there
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just <yeah>. don't worry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I still remember I, I lit my first YouTube
0: video with like this Ikea lamp or something like that. And it was just like this this 3200 Same. Kelvin lamp just <laughs> shining Same. right at me. I'm just like, why did I think that looks good?
1: <laughs> I gotta be evenly lit. <laughs> why not? Yeah.
0: <laughs> the more light you have, the better you look. Yes, uh, obviously. What's your favorite camera that you've owned? Because you own and shoot with the a7S III right now, yeah. correct? Is that your favorite
1: camera? That is the best camera on the market that I could own. Um, okay, I'm really. It does everything I needed to do, so I don't ever feel like I need to upgrade at this point. The yeah. only camera that would allow me to upgrade is if they release an A7s somewhat camera that had built-in ND. Then that's my perfect camera. Essentially, I do have like I have different concepts of like dream cameras that. I want to do, and that would actually probably be a future video, because like I got some concepts I think people would like. Think think like what the Blackmagic Pocket did for the filmmaking industry, doing that again. <laughs> I feel like the, a camera like that. But to your point, like going back to your question, not only have I owned a lot of cameras, I've used a lot of cameras. I've used an Alexa. I've used the G7. So I feel very fortunate to now. Like I feel like any camera that I do use, I can make it look good. There are yeah. certain limitations to each camera. You have to figure those out. But you can reach a nice shot. Not only do I use the A7S Three, I also use the Sony ZV-1 for a lot of my YouTube. There's some videos that are filmed just with that. And that's a $700 camera, one-inch sensor. And if you use it right, it looks just as good as an A7. Um, yeah. But yeah, th- that the A7S Three has been one of my favorite cameras. The S1H was really awesome of camera and I I put a equal scale to a 7S3 it's probably a little bit better in like image quality and it's more filmmaker centric but I realized the compromise to get a camera that allowed me to shoot more efficiently mainly it's just autofocus right like I took a sacrifice in stabilization from the S1H to a 7S3 but the autofocus made just shooting so much easier and I feel like and what people hate on autofocus I was you know, being on Panasonic campus, like, you know, you don't need autofocus. You just got to have it. <laughs> all cameras yeah. should have it at this point. And if you don't want to use it, fine. But all cameras should have autofocus, in my opinion. Because I get, my philosophy is any tool that would just help you create and causes less friction is a good camera. So, yeah, I think the a7S three or the a7 IV, which would be $2,500, is probably the best camera to get into if you want to shoot anything from youtube or feature-length films you could probably just do it on the a7IV at this point and i'll probably recommend that over something like black magic if you are just doing a bunch of different content um black magic panasonic they're great filmmaker focused and we use black magics at you know i use those every day at work and they're great but there are certain things that an a7s is just useful for and i do bring my camera to set and shoot with that sometimes. So yeah, it's like I guess at the end of the day it's like finding a camera that works for you and not worry about the little things. Like technically the S1H probably has a better image, but the A7S3 is a little bit more well-rounded. Like like I said, the only camera that would I would want to upgrade at this point is if it had internal variable ND, then I'd be set. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like the, the the FX6. Doesn't the FX6 have? The FX6 internal? is
1: very close. I just don't like some of its layout because I use the FS7 at work for the longest time. And there's just certain mm-hmm. menu things that, and just the form factor, like I can't really put that on gimbal as easily. That's true. Um, and there's also, it's $6,000. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So if they made an A7S with NDs, chunk up the body a little bit, four grand. 4500 i'd probably buy it (laughs) yeah like i almost feel
0: like the fx3 could be Should have.
1: yeah it it could be perfect if
0: it just had even if it was just like i don't know like the digital variable nd or whatever like just yeah the the fx6 i think
1: that is the the best form it's it's electronic so you first put it in you lose like a stop but then you can choose between that and i think seven eight stops i'm not sure but I think that's the best form of ND we could have. And I hope Sony would put that in, you know, a a body, a smaller body.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely agree with you on like the whole autofocus thing. Like, you know, switching to my Olympus camera now, like it's just so convenient, especially as a content
1: creator to have good autofocus. And that's one that thing. That conversation like... just needs to die at this point. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> Come yeah, on. Exactly. Does everyone give us autofocus. You don't have to use it. You're happy yeah
0: well no i mean like there's so many like fx6 fx9 owners that like mm-hmm. those those cameras have great autofocus but they shoot with old contact zeiss glass or whatever oh yeah like oh yeah you know, i'm a like,
1: big fan of old manual lenses i reviewed several early on in my youtube channel just because they were yeah. so affordable and <laughs> like I, I bought those for like five bucks at a yard sale and that was my first 50 millimeter lens was a 50 mil 1.7 so i'm a huge fan of that old character on a sharp digital body i think that's like a nice combination you get that sharp look but it's very clear in focus there's detail but it's not sharp if that makes sense yeah
0: yeah i feel like it's funny how we've gone from like you know the t3i sensor trying to get the sharpest lens that we possibly can to put on that and now it's the opposite. Like we have too sharp, like our sensors are too sharp. So we want to get like some yeah. lenses that are less sharp. That's one thing that I like about Sony too, is that like, they just seem like they're such creator focused camera brand. Mm. Like they have the a7S three, and then the, the ZV-1 if you need like a small little pocket camera. And I wish that like Olympus or Panasonic, like, you know, Panasonic has smaller pocketable cameras, but they're not cameras that are video oriented at all canon has like the little g7x cameras or whatever that you can throw in a bag or whatever but sometimes it is just nice to have like a small little camera that's still super capable that you can just you know do some pickup shots with if yeah
1: because you because you, you really enjoy the smaller form factor that's why you don't necessarily you know have the biggest camera or you're not shooting with the cinema camera but you like to be small and nimble so i mean i, I guess a question for you is like what would be your ideal camera if you know money wasn't an option like what what strange frankenstein camera would you build <laughs> if money was no object and i didn't have a youtube channel that was like
0: dedicated to like the budget filmmaker i'd probably mm. be shooting on uh sony a7s3 you know and just like i'd probably go with like some of those really small samying like uh pancake primes or whatever just to keep my whole footprint down just because like mm. whenever i go out and film stuff in like public i'm so like, it doesn't matter how many times I do it. It's just, it's so awkward for me. So, like, oh, right. if I, I <laughs> like if I don't look like I'm some big filmmaker, that's, like, that's way better for me. You know, like, I just want to look like I'm some tourist photographer and nobody, like, you know, pays attention to me. So, my whole thing is, like, like I'd love to have a camera that shoots like a cinema camera, but looks like a, a mirrorless, which is basically the Sony a7S III.
1: I think you'd really like the ZV-1, honestly. I've gotten a lot of use out of that camera. Um, and there's rumors of a, of a second model coming out, and I'm really excited for that. But that there's a camera that I would build that would resolve around like the ZV-1 style, but just beefing it up um, because it's so nice to have a built-in lens on a camera. Like I can literally just take the ZV-1, don't have to worry about putting on a lens. And it's like that little thing of just like, choosing oh which lens do i need sometimes like that's just enough friction to be like oh i'm just not gonna shoot (laughs) so like real like literally like having a 24 to 70 equivalent lens on a a little camera like that there's something about that that makes me just want to pick up and shoot with it or it's like you know for youtube i I don't need the craziest camera rig if i'm just shooting b-roll shots of my a7 i'll just you know put the zv1 there bam i don't have to invest in a whole new I don't have to buy a second A7S3 if I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And, so. That's yeah. why it's like this little camera is getting a lot of use and I love it. <laughs> Such a smart move by
0: Sony to just make something that could be a companion to your main camera, especially for its content creators. Was that yeah. did they Did they ever say that? Like did they Honestly, I don't know, but like that's what <laughs> like that's that's how I see it. Like I see like the little ZV1 and that's it kind of like, you know, took the place of like the R the rx 100 series yeah. yeah you know if you were just gonna go you know snap some photos or whatever you could just like throw it in your fanny pack and take it with you and you'd still have pretty good image quality you don't have to throw your entire a7s3 with you which i think is kind of yeah. cool the next question i have for you is is there any gear right now that's either rumored or has recently come out that like is really got you excited
1: well there's there's uh rumors of a black magic camera that is coming out and i think Hopefully that would just disrupt the camera market to get people making better cameras. I mean, they're already great cameras, but just like there's nothing that quite's hit the marks for me. It's like at this point, it's like I don't really care what camera comes out because like unless it's an A7S III with NDs, I don't want (laughs) it. (laughs) Uh, But it's like it's it's important to have like a good eye on something. So like there's a there's a rumor Blackmagic probably like a box camera 8K maybe full frame that would be exciting to look at. The other camera that's just rumored is that whatever Sony comes out with the ZV1 Mark II. Now this this goes into my my conversation of building this dream camera. It's like what I'm hoping this Mark II is. It's probably not going to be that at all. But if the Mark II LSC gave us 10 bit better battery and just made the overall build quality a little bit better, I'd probably buy one. But there there's a there's a dream. I got to talk about this on my channel because I want to so bad. But basically, yeah, basically, in essence, it's taking like the ZV-1 but just making it more of a studio camera. So if the lens didn't protrude, it was just like fixed. But you could go from like 24 to 85 or maybe 20 to 85 F2 on a one-inch sensor. But the design and philosophy of this dream camera would be like, it would just work. You don't have to worry about plugging stuff in Battery life lasts like all day. Even if you could like hook up a wireless transmitter inside of it, and then you sold like a separate receiver, so you don't even have to plug a, a transmitter on top of it. I basically want to build a camera where you don't have to plug anything in and just works. You pick it up, bam, that's the camera you go and you shoot with, and everything would just be as seamless as possible. So that's like from my experience of having shot and being that running gun style, and having janky rigs (laughs) it's like it has not formed me on what i would want in a camera at least like in a run and gun style camera a camera that would you'd want to recommend to anyone who's just getting their start so right now that's the pocket 4k but the pocket 4k has some issues you got to rig it out you gotta have batteries so it's it sucks to like recommend that to someone because you know it's issues versus if you had a camera it's like Literally, if you just get this camera, you're set. An SD card, whatever. Get it. You're good. Don't even worry about a lens. I, I don't know who to talk to to make a camera like this, <laughs> but yeah. that's that's this concept I want to do. There's also the cinema camera version, which I haven't quite thought about as much, but yeah.
0: We do have, I think, one question from YouTube, and I think it... okay. I think, I think we've kind of talked a little bit about this, but this is from Sev. They say, hi, what are the most important specs that I should consider when buying a cheap beginner camera? Recording modes, some cameras shoot 2530p instead of 24p. Uh, will that be a problem? Dynamic range, highlight roll-off, ability to shoot logs, stabilization. Thank you. So I guess they're just asking mm-hmm what the best first camera is and what specs should they look for in their first Mm -hmm. camera. And it seems like they want to keep it cheap. So I guess, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it seems to me like, for those who are, for someone asking that question probably doesn't know exactly what they're looking for just yet. So I'm almost just encouraged to, whatever camera they have accessible to them, to fully know that and then practice with it, push it to its limits Once the camera reaches its breaking point, you should be informed on what things are important to you. Because it's going to be a very different question for different shooters. So an A7S shooter versus someone who's doing a pocket 4K. Like, well, the A7S doesn't have raw internal, so maybe they go with a pocket 4K. So it's like, I can't fully just recommend one thing that's going to be better. There's certain preferences that I look out for. I guess, for instance, you just want to make sure at the end of the day it has good quality. And I think any camera you purchase today, you should be safe there. And just making sure it works within your workflow. You know, does it work well with your computer? Can you edit it? On top of that, it's just like, if you do know your camera, you can probably customize it to a degree that fits you. Programming buttons. So, in essence, I would I'd say whatever camera you do have, if it's, you know, a T3i. Like, you just did a video with a T7, and it looks... yeah. Fabulous, you know. Thanks sure, you're me. not going to get the sharpest image, but, yeah. you know, you lean into that, and then if you want to upgrade from there, it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to get a 4K sensor or, you know, something like that. So, I mean, what what would be your... Um, How would you address that question?
0: Well, I would kind of say the same thing. Like when you're at the level that like, you know, maybe say you and I are like, we could probably make a pretty decent looking shot regardless of what camera we have. And that's what I always try to encourage people with first is that like gaining knowledge on YouTube is free. So go that route first. But if you're just looking for your first camera and you've kind of outgrown your iPhone, there's typically like two or three cameras that I might point you towards like, maybe a Canon M50. It's not going to have the mm-hmm. best image quality. It's going to have good autofocus, which is going to help you if you don't know how to, you know, do manual focus if you're, you know, either making YouTube videos or filming somebody else. But there's going to be drawbacks on that. Like there's no IBIS mm-hmm. and it's a 8-bit 1080p like image that you can push around sometimes but it's kind of like you said like there's going to be compromises no matter what camera you get especially mm-hmm. if you're on a budget if money was no object just go buy an a74 an a7s3 and learn it really well mm-hmm. i mean i guess to that. give a
1: more like fun answer maybe i use gh5 or sony a60 whatever camera um yeah like a 61 or 64 like, yeah or 6600 like i feel like those yeah. cameras have the upgradability you may need. So you invest in glass that can be used on other cameras. Ideally use GH5, like the image quality is there and then you can adapt any lens in existence to it. <laughs> um, yeah. so you could get cheap vintage lenses or you could get, uh canon ef lenses and adapt those or like all these new anamorphic lenses that are coming out which is exciting i guess maybe that's a more tangible answer is a camera well-rounded i mean i'm going to recommend a well-rounded camera just because of my preferences and not knowing who this person's needs are but probably something around there if you and then buy used to save money don't buy oh (laughs) absolutely
0: no i actually yeah i think i like your answer better i think i like a sony a64 a6600 those are going to give you really good image quality because those are 6k sensors that are downsampled to 4k right Yeah, yeah so those are like like those are really good sensors on those cameras and you know like like nate said if when you upgrade to a different sony camera you know you can typically move up in the sony ecosystem and sony's kind of where where a lot of creators and filmmakers are leaning to anyways almost everyone that i know is like switching from canon to sony or from panasonic to sony just because they're kind of dominating the market right now so
1: yeah also the the other point too it's like i don't know if you ever think about this but buying a camera that you you know you can resell there's a lot of times i buy camera gear buy it cheap sell it sometimes make money from it you just now have leased that camera for free or got paid to use it so if you if you look at it that way, finding a good deal, waiting for a good deal, and knowing that people, this camera is still going to be in demand in a year or two, and maybe I only lose a hundred bucks, but I've used that camera for a year and made money with it. You know, I, I, I do think a lot in that way is like, instead of renting a camera, can I buy it and then sell it later? <laughs> yeah, exactly especially with the sony cameras
0: like i feel like i don't know i've seen so much good stuff still come out of like even those older sony sensors because they still shoot in like s-log 2 and s-log 3 you can you know slap those phantom luts on it and it still looks like insanely good which makes me almost want to like if i switch out of micro four thirds soon like it kind of makes me want to go to a you know buy a used a6400 or something Mm. like that and just like start shooting on that
1: me personally like i there's a reason why i did not switch to sony before the a7s3 and i feel like This was their first good camera that would make me switch because the Sony had a lot of perks, but a lot of downsides too. So I know color, I've always had a hard time coloring early Sony footage. So I was always a little bit hesitant to that, but if you're getting your start and maybe you're not even shooting log, you'll then realize what you can do with it. And then you'll know, oh, I do want 10 bit, you know, later on. And then you'll see a massive jump of what you can actually push. And sometimes I forget just how much I can utilize with my camera that going, going back to like the G seven, I did that like a year or two ago. I whipped out the G seven again. I'm like, I can't mess with this footage at all, (laughs) but I mean, it still looks great. It's just, you, you, you've grown to realize how more powerful these cameras are. Yeah. I
0: tried that Canon T seven video, like, Mm -hmm. It really made me realize like how much I enjoy having good autofocus. And that's why I like for the mm-hmm. longest time I was thinking about, oh, I'll just buy a used GH3 again as like my B cam, but it's just like I don't know if I can deal with having to do my my manual focus hacks with that camera again, even if it's just a mm. B
1: camera. <laughs> but I mean that that lends into being efficient and then you're putting you're not making that decision focusing. So you're thinking about other things that can make your video better. So it's like, you know, why not? <laughs>
0: Well, I think I just have one last question for you, and then I'll let you go. Awesome. So, basically, where where do you want to see your YouTube channel go, or where do you want your career to go in the next like ten years or so? Because I know you mentioned you wanted mm-hmm. to make movies, but like you know, you say YouTube isn't going anywhere, and you found a little bit of success. I mean, I'd say a lot of success with your YouTube channel. Like, well, thank you. Like, what do you like? What do you plan on doing mm-hmm. with your YouTube channel? And in yeah, the future? initially,
1: my YouTube channel was just purely for that. Give myself a place to practice and put it out there and it's changed and it's morphed into what it's become now which is is helping me make money and i do enjoy having this creative outlet um whereas you know sometimes work doesn't give me that outlet and i can just do anything i want on youtube so i'm happy to have that and i think in the future I, I want to see my YouTube channel become more of a behind the scenes or more of a, like a video journal. Looking back, I really like what um, YouTube channel Pony Smasher, um, the guy oh, yeah, who directed David F. Annabelle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I like what he's doing is like he's he's ex, you know showing his process of making a feature length film. So like there's certain people that are already kind of doing it, but I kind of want to morph them all into one. In essence, like I like teaching. I, I've always been like fond of teaching, sharing what I know, and then in some ways that does make you more informed because then you're relaying information. So you are understanding that concept even more, which is one reason I really like it. So I I want my channel to become like, if I'm making a a movie and having BTS breakdowns or even just like, here's, here's what I'm doing day one, writing the script. Cause like you talked about, sometimes the BTS is way more Fun and interesting than actually watching a movie, Um, and I I feel that a lot. It's like I get so amped up, you know, watching the Mandalorian BTS and falling in love with Star Wars again. It's like that to me. It's like it's almost better to watch that, even no matter like what the what the movie is. Even it's something I don't like, I love hearing like Quentin Tarantino's um, when he's talking about his movies. But you know, I haven't watched one of his movies, but I like hearing him talk about it. So I want like my future channel to be, you know, in the future, have it be more like that, like kind of bring you, what it would be like to bring a person to the actual set and to experience that, I guess is probably the closest um, I want from my YouTube channel. And then if that's also a way of distributing my movie is through YouTube, maybe that's great. Or I've already have the audience to watch that movie essentially. And then as far as like my career, I want to make narrative films and being a cinematographer is my closest idea of that. Maybe it is directing, but i found this fondness in cinematography and I'm really good at it. So, so far I see myself like within, you know, 10 years, hopefully I'm making more narrative full length feature films um, that are also, you know, faith based that are wholesome movies. Um, I feel like there's not enough of those that do like are done well And so I have like these ideas that I want to push towards that every movie doesn't have to have a sex scene in it. They don't have to cuss, like just bring us back some of that good movies you could watch with your family. So there's like, there's like that overlying that image I kind of have in my mind and that's what I want to achieve. And so even when I'm doing YouTube, even when I'm working, like I'm working on side projects, doing little passion projects or, researching watching movies to understand i feel like in many ways my life is just super super focus, focused on just filmmaking or youtube and that, that is both good and bad like it's awesome to have just this one focus but it also means like I, I do have to find like some other creative activities because i sometimes i feel like oh i gotta work but i'm still passionate about this thing so i do this to relax but i still feel like i'm working <laughs> yeah. which is uh definitely it's um it's a balance too to figure out awesome man yeah i'm really stoked on seeing
0: you grow throughout your career and that's a really awesome aspiration to have yeah man thank you so much for for joining me on this little podcast that i have it's been really fun being able to talk to you like
1: face this is to probably face. going to be your longest podcast but i enjoyed dude, every minute of it <laughs> yeah same
0: here dude this, i know this is definitely i think oh man yeah this is definitely the <laughs> longest podcast all right this is
1: a premium content subscribe to yeah. the patreon do all that stuff <laughs> well yeah man
0: thanks uh if anyone wants to follow you on social media where can they go
1: all right so you can go to youtube nate's film tutorials and you'll see my face all over the lovely videos or you can check me out on instagram or i have a website nathan swella s-w-e-h-l-a.com and you can see kind of more of my work on, i have on there kind of showing my my dp work um but yeah that's that's where i live awesome well thanks again man and we'll have to do this again absolutely i've loved every minute of it thanks for having me